I was uh, thinking this week about the first time I went to Canada. Um, I, I, that first time crossing the border from the U.S. into Canada, and uh, we had gone up to Detroit. I, I don't remember exactly where I think we had gone up to Dearborn, actually, and we were riding around the area, uh, just kind of seeing what was there, and I saw a sign that said, you know, to go to Canada, you know, and I thought, well, I'd never been to Canada before, so I turned toward the border. Now, this was a number of years ago, uh, you know, uh, well, over 30, because it was before we were here, so, I mean, you know, we're talking probably 35 years ago or so, and, uh, you know, as we're driving along, there were these Canadian border folks there who um, everyone had to stop and check in with. Now, I thought that it was simply a welcome to Canada moment, you know, that I would get up there and they'd give me the welcome to Canada spiel and give me a small bottle of maple syrup. I, why else would they be there? When I go to Florida and I stop in at the Florida welcome place, they tell me welcome to Florida and they give me orange juice. Well, of course, I thought for sure, uh, you know, that I was going to get this there. So when it was my turn to to receive the greeting and get my welcome package from there, there from them, I rolled down the window and no maple syrup. I uh, I just I, I was kind of the guy wanted to know why I wanted to enter Canada. What was my purpose for this journey? Uh, I, I told him, you know, we were simply on vacation. Then he wanted to know where I was going to go in Canada. C- Canada obviously wasn't the answer to this question of where I wanted, where I wanted to, to go. You know, um, uh, I just wanted to say I had been to a foreign country. I mean, really, that's the only reason I went up there. We weren't even going to spend the night, for pity's sake. I was driving in. I was going to drive around and, and, and drive out. He wanted a destination. He wanted to know my plan. And I remember just for a moment I was thinking, I thought we were on friendly terms with Canada. You know, what's the, what's the big deal here about all this? I looked up, and there was some fast food restaurant down there, uh, you know, at least I thought that's what it was. And he's, you know, so he says, where that's right. I said, I'm going right there, you know, and that that was good enough for him, you know. It's a, now we've been to Canada since that impulsive trip there, and I was better prepared for the questions. Uh, one time, Ginny and I went up to Toronto uh, for a, just a getaway. We thought it would be nice. We thought it would be fun. So when I hit the border, and they said, "Where are you going, Toronto?" Why are you going just on vacation? You know, and I, I had the answers for him. Uh, when we used to take those uh, summer trips with the students, we would cross into Canada on a portage. A portage is a path between two lakes in which you carry all your worldly possessions that you brought with you in the canoe, and you carry the canoe as well. And you know, you go across the portage. As you're crossing the portage, uh, there is a cabin, a log cabin there. And there's a border guard for Canada. And he wants to know why you're coming into Canada and where you're going. And we had to tell him which lakes we were planning on paddling in as we went up there. We had to have that there. And, uh, you know, so I've been prepared each time. And even though each time I have given them satisfactory answers, still no maple syrup. I, 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 
I just don't get it. But they, they really ask two very important questions. Where are you headed and why? Where are you headed and why? How prepared are you to answer those two questions? Now, I'm not talking about, you know, on your journey to Canada, but on your journey through life. What is the journey you're on? And where is the purpose, you know, what is the purpose of that journey? What is that journey you're on? Where are you going and what is the purpose? Why are, why, why are you doing, why are you doing this? Where are you going and why? God showed me these are important questions to ask myself regularly. Sometimes, several times a day. I'm not just talking about this one big grand thing. Certainly you should have that, but also several times a day. Where am I going and why? Let's pray and I will share with you how God shined his light into my life about these questions. Father, I thank you that you are a God of purpose. You are not a willy-nilly, just laissez-faire God who kind of takes things as it comes and wonders what in the world's coming next. You are a God who is sovereign. You are a God who has the answers we long for, we look for. You are a God who has the answers to questions we haven't even thought of yet. I thank you that we can have a relationship with you and what that means and what that should mean in our life and for our life. Uh, I, I thank you for your word and the way it has ministered to me so many times and to all of them, to all of us here, really. Your word has been, had, had that important place, an important role, and I pray you continue to unfold yourself to us as we look into your word this morning. That would be something that we would look and we would see. God has indeed put this out here for me. Because it's not just some ancient book that is irrelevant to us. It is, when we say a guide for life, it truly is. Now guide us, we pray, as we think about life in light of you and your word and your truth, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 16. So if you want to turn there, Genesis chapter 16, it's one of the easier ones to find. Even if you don't know where it is, just start in the very beginning of the Bible and keep flipping until you get to page 12. In the Pew Bible, anyway. It might be a little bit different page in yours. Uh, this is a, a time early in Abraham and Sarah's relationship with God. Uh, this was before God changed their names actually to Abraham and Sarah. Uh, here you will see they are referred to by the names I just assume their parents gave them, Abram and Sarai. Now in chapter 17, uh, God changes their names from Abram, which means uh, the father is exalted, to Abraham, meaning father of multitude, because that's or father of many. Uh, that's reflecting what God was going to do uh, through him. And he changes Sarai, which means princess, to Sarah, which means wife of Kent. No, okay, no. Uh, well, actually, Sarah means pretty much the same thing: noble woman or or uh, princess. Uh, we're going to read the whole chapter, so uh, just follow along as we read, and then keep your Bible open as I go through, and I hope to unfold for you uh, how God was unfolding some things for me. Uh, verse one, chapter Genesis, chapter sixteen. Abram's Abram's wife Sarai had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abram. Since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. 
And Abram agreed to what Sarai had said. So Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan ten years. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When she realized that she was pregnant, she treated her mistress with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and ever since she saw that she was pregnant, she has treated me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you. Abram replied to Sarai, Here is your slave in your own hands. Do whatever you want with her. Then Sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She replied, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, you must go back to your mistress and submit to her mistreatment. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring and they will be too many to count. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, you have conceived and you will have a son. You will name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. This man will be a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. He will live at odds with all his brothers. So she called the Lord who spoke to her, the God who sees. For she said, in this place, I have actually seen the one who sees me. That is why she named the spring a well of the living one who sees me. It is located between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave birth to Abram's son, and Abram gave him the name Ishmael to the son Hagar had. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Not the most glorious passage for Abraham and Sarah here. Starts out telling us that uh, they didn't have any kids, that Sarai did, had not uh, born any children for Abram at this point. Uh, that was a very serious thing in their society, not to have children. That was a serious thing. Uh, they, they certainly looked on children um, in, in, in many ways and from many respects a little more intently uh, than you know, than we do as a society, as a people, when someone didn't have children, when someone was unable to have children, they looked on it as punishment from God. So the woman and sometimes even the man were looked on as sinners, and particularly egregious sinners, that God wouldn't give them children. Now, not having children was particularly bothersome for Abram and Sarai because God had promised them offspring. In chapter 15, Abram is lamenting having no children, saying one of his servants was in line to inherit everything that Abram had. And God's reply to him in chapter 15, he says, Now the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to him when he's talking about this servant and who's going to inherit all this stuff. He says, This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars, if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. 
Now, part of this, part of these verses here, what you see in verse 4 and 5 here from Genesis 15, part of that is a promise, and part of it is God's sovereignty being displayed. You see both of those really coming out, and you see them being unfolded even more here in the 16th chapter, what we're looking at. When he tells Abram, he says that the star, they're going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky. The stars in the sky are pretty impressive, particularly when you get away from the lights of the city. You see, we are too used to the lights of the city. I remember the, the, the first time, let me put it this way, I, the first time I remember being impressed with the with the number of stars up in the sky we were um, uh, the bible study that we used to have years ago before we had kids um, you know went camping up at governor dodge state park in uh, wisconsin and it was i don't know how big the park is you know it was pretty big and it's out you know in nowheresville and we got a, a group campsite a group campsite was even further back Nobody else was around you. Uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, that you just had a bigger spot. You kind of were the only ones out in that spot. And I remember uh, we you parked, you drove and parked in this parking lot that they told you to park in, this patch of gravel, actually. And uh, there's a path, and you walk up the path, and you'll find this clearing, and that's your group campsite. So that's what we did. And, uh, you know, we were up there, and we had a campfire going. And even with the campfire, you don't realize how many stars get blocked out, even just from a campfire. And I, what I remember, you know, looking up and saying, yes, yeah, kind of a lot of stars. And then uh, I had to go back to the car for something. So I got my flashlight and I walked down that path back out to that, that patch of gravel. Uh, now, you know, the, the, the group campsite actually was so far into the woods, I couldn't even see the campfire, you know, from where we, where we were because of the location and the number of trees. And I remember looking up and man, that was something. That was something. It was like, oh man, can you, you just can't, you just can't imagine. I, I shared with you a couple months ago, you know, Ginny and I went to Hocking Hills in Ohio this year, and um, it's desi- the area we were in is designated some kind of dark spot. I don't know what it is. There's a name that, you know, that people give to that. I just call it a dark spot, uh, you know, because they, they had this uh, uh, observatory area up there. Um, and so when we were, uh, when we were um, in, this, in this cabin, uh, the guy in town told us that night, he said, uh, the sun, the moon comes up at midnight, so you'll want to get out before that. Uh, he said, you'll be able to see the Milky Way tonight, and told us, you know, where in the sky to look. And so, you know, from when the sun started to set, you know, until midnight, Jenny and I went in and out several times, because, you know, first of all, it's going to get darker, you know. It's, a, it's, a, it's just impressive. And there's the Milky Way. And here's what the Milky If you've not seen the Milky Way, you know, we see these pictures of it in a paper, and it's got these bazillion stars. Well, when you're seeing it from the distance we are, um, here's what the Milky Way looks like. Uh, kind of like milk up there. I mean, it, all the stars are just, you know, there's this, this, this lighter area that kind of flows. Yeah, and it's all these stars. And I was thinking, he took Abram outside the house, where it's dark, and he said, look at the stars of the sky, buddy. 
your offspring are going to be more numerous than that. Abraham, I, I feel very confident in saying this. Abram never forgot that. Never forgot that. How could he forget that? I think he could have Alzheimer's and not forget that. How could you, I mean, it's just such, it would be such an impressive thing. And so here they were, you know, here they were, uh, and, 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 and no kids. God is thinking back on what God showed him. And God was showing him then that God's in control. Even though Abram didn't see it at the time here in Genesis 15, even though he didn't see it at the time, God is sovereign and God is overall. Well, here we are in chapter 16, and Sarai comes up with her own plan to fulfill God's promise. She gives her servant Hagar to Abram as a wife so that he can impregnate her and thus have children. Now, as Sarai's servant... Any children that came from Hagar, Sarai could claim as her own. You know, legally in their society and in their culture, she could claim it, you know, as hers. Now, let me just point out for you here uh, something. Plural marriages, when you see them in Scripture, always bring trouble. People look and say, well, you know, they used to do it. Yeah, you know what? And, and they, they did a lot of sinful things. Uh, scripture very faithfully records the sin of God's people. And what you're doing here, what they're doing is going against God and God's intent of one man and one woman committed to each other for life. Back in the, in the garden, he says, you know, this is why a man leaves his father and mother in bonds to his wife and they become one flesh blind. Cleaves is what is the word we're used to. Cleaves. You know, that's, that's welded together. You know, put together in such a way. Now, just a side note for you here, but it's an important side note. Um, you know, when he's talking about this cleaving, here's the, the reality. For, don't let anything or anybody Come between your bond as husband and wife. Nothing and nobody. And, and even to this, even to this point, you don't, you, you know, it's even to this point, you don't, you do not let your children come between you and your spouse. Now what I mean by that is, you see, we see that sometimes as a, a, a divisive thing that's exactly what it is that's exactly what it is i hope you are committed to your children i hope you love each i hope you would sing with your children every single day i really do i hope you have that kind of a relationship but you know what your relationship as husband and wife should be closer should be tighter should be a stronger bond and even that child that you'll sing with every single day of your life. A closer bond than that. And you don't let anything come in between there. This is a very good place to ask yourself the where and the why question. You know, where are you going on your journey through life? Is it taking you closer to your mate and, or further away? Think of the ramifications of your actions. 
Now, let me illustrate this for you. This is not original with me. You have seen this before. Uh, Look at the relationship here as a triangle. And, you know, God there, that destination of the triangle. Uh, And you see down at the bottom of the triangle, a husband and a wife. Now, look at this. The closer a husband and a wife get to God on on their journey through life, what happens? The husband and wife get closer to each other as they're drawing closer to God. You know, the closer you get up to God, that brings a husband and wife closer to... That's that where question. As that husband and wife grow, they get grow closer to God, they get closer to each other. Here, Abram's and Sarai's actions were not bringing them closer to God. It was quite the opposite. It was quite the, they, they, you know, that was not acting in trust in God. It's not bringing him closer to God. It's not acting in, in faith in what God had promised them. No, instead they're putting their own plan in, in place of God's plan. God promised them that they would have offspring as numerous as the, as the stars in the sky. Now they didn't even have one child yet. So they come up with their own plan and try to do what God promised them he would do. But their plan was outside of God's standards. Their plan was, you know, in this case, God's standards for marriage. You know, it was an acceptable arrangement in their society. In their society, this was just fine. But it went against God's standards. Ask yourself this question. Where is my solution to this situation taking me? Any situation. Is it taking me closer to God or further from God? Where is the solution that I'm pursuing taking me? If you're going against God's standards, if you're going against God's word, then it's taking you further from God. That is not the way you should want to go. That is not the way you should choose to go. And the why question here gives them the same answer. Why did they think that they should embrace their own plan? What what it seems to boil down to to me as I'm looking at it is God wasn't working fast enough for them yet. It wasn't you know they put their own expect they put their own expectations ahead of God's sovereignty, just like we do. Just like we do. We put our own expectations there and God's sovereignty gets set aside. Well, here now Hagar becomes pregnant, causes a problem between Sarai and Hagar. Who saw that coming? You know, and then between Sarai and Abram, not a surprising outcome here at all. And then in her anger, look at verse five. In her anger, Sarai tells Abram, may the Lord, I've just found this, I found this. What a statement. May the Lord judge between me and you. Let's see. You choose a sinful solution, and you think and you think God is going to take your side in approving your sinful act. How foolish! How foolish! Don't expect God to approve your sin. Don't ever expect God to approve your sin. And here's the thing for you: really, stop approving your own sin as well. Stop approving it and get back. It is not okay. It is not inconsequential. You know, sometimes we say, well, you know, it's better than it was. No, no. 
all you've done is you've pushed off, you've pushed off the issue to later and you've compounded it with more problems. Because what happened here is, is, is the, the descendants of Ishmael were told also would be numerous. And guess what? Those descendants of Ishmael, uh, you know, all through history and even today, continue to oppose God's people. The, 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 the people, the, the, the people, the descendants of Ishmael continue to oppose and give, and give problems to Israel even today. Inconsequential. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't matter. Abram's response to the consequences of these sinful acts here was to open the door for more sin to happen. Look at what he does. He gives implicit permission to Sarai to sinfully mistreat Hagar. She's in your hands. Do what you want. Do what you want. Do what you think is best. For pretty sake, Sarai's honked off already. Why would... Why would you give her the person that she's honked off about, you know, and say, do what you want to her? You know, how foolish can you be? And Sarah did just that. Now be very clear. You know, sin is not okay. Don't make room for it. Don't make it easier. Don't make provision for it. Don't give permission for it. Abram here, he was trying to implement his own plan as well. He just kind of washes his, he thinks he is, washing his hands of it. Simply let the chips fall where they may. She's yours, do what you want. Now, it wasn't me, it was her. You know, sound familiar? My goodness, didn't, didn't Adam, where, what have you done? It wasn't me, it was her. Hmm. Same old, same old excuse for sin. Later, Abram tries to modify God's plan instead of following God. It's several years later. Uh, he thought that he and Sarai were too old to have, uh, physically too old to have children. Uh, and they still didn't have any descendants. They still didn't have this child, even one, to fulfill the promise God made to make them a mighty nation, a people as many that you know, outnumbered the stars in the sky. Too many to count is what he's really saying. So later, Abram proposes his own plan to God. At least he brought it to God this time instead of just foolishly barging ahead. At least he learned later and he brings it to God. Plan, go ahead and plan, but bring it to God for pity's sake. James says, you know, you say, I'm going to go to this city, that city, and, and you know, make money here and there. He says, what are you people, nuts? He says, you should say, if, if the Lord wills, I'll do this and that. You make your plans, but bring them to God. Abraham, he, so he, Abraham comes up with this other plan, you know, years later, and he wants Ishmael to be the one that God used to build the people too many to count. Abraham loved his son, and in Genesis 17, as he brings this to God, Abraham says to God, if only Ishmael were acceptable to you. Now, here's the good part about this. Abraham, now, at least he's bringing his thoughts to God. And, and God didn't ignore them. He brought them to God, and God answers them. God reassures Abraham that God was still going to fulfill his promise, that, he, that, that promise that he made. The very next verse, it says, But God said, No, your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant. For his future offspring. And what do you know? Isaac was born. 
And he comes along and God said, the promised son was born to Abraham and Sarah. Well, then it was time as, you know, for Hagar and Ishmael to be sent away because, well, when that time came, we're told in chapter 21, it says, you know, now this was a very difficult thing for Abraham because of his son. He loved his son Ishmael. That's good. He should have loved his son Ishmael. He should have. And he loved him. And this is a very difficult thing for him. We're not told exactly why, but quite possibly it was done. You know, they were sent away to remove any temptation for Abraham to sin against God by elevating Ishmael over Isaac. To remove that possibility, God puts distance between Abraham and Ishmael. Now back to where we were in chapter 16. God interrupts Hagar's plan. It says here, the angel of the Lord comes to Hagar. Look at verse 8. The angel of the Lord comes to her and asks, Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? Now many feel the angel of the Lord, and in some of your, probably most of your translations, that's capitalized, angel of the Lord. Uh, Many feel that this is uh, 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 the pre-incarnate Christ. That has come, and certainly it seems that way in scriptures. Here, she the way, and it starts that those ideas really start here with this passage because of the way she refers to the angel of the Lord and and calling him Lord and and things and the the way that she responds. Now, here's when he comes and he says, you know, where have you come from? Where where are you going? Realize he's not looking for information. Just the same as when God came to, you know, to the garden and said, Abraham, where are you? Or Abraham. Adam, where are you? He wasn't, he wasn't looking for information. He was given, he was given, God was giving Adam that opportunity to step forward and say, here I am, man, we sinned. He didn't. So God extends more grace to him, you know, when he, when he sees Abraham, or when he, why do I keep calling him Abraham? When he sees Adam, he says, what have you done? God wasn't looking for information. He was giving Adam that opportunity to repent. Here, the angel comes and says, you know, where have you come from? Where are you going? He wasn't looking for information. He was giving Hagar that opportunity. He was calling her to think about where she was going and why she was why she was doing it this is the verse god used to get my attention when i was reading this where have you come from and where are you going god redirects her god corrects her course of action it wasn't going to be a fun situation notice he, in fact, it seems it was something to avoid. He sends her back to Sarai, the one who was making life miserable for her, and he sends her back there, you know, not what, what would seem to be something you would send someone back to, but it's what God was calling her to. Now, follow this whole thing through, because right now you're thinking, eh, I don't get this one, you know, why'd God send her back? Follow, follow this through, you know, but for, as we look at this, you know, just just take a moment and think about where you are going and why you are doing what you're doing. Don't simply implement your own ideas. Stop to think, you know, where, you know, where you're going and why you're doing what you're doing. Don't simply throw in your own stuff. 
And then review your ideas and plans with God. And then follow God's leading rather than acting from your own hurt, from your own frustration, from your own anger. Hagar was mistreated and she ran away. Makes sense to us. It makes sense to us. God was looking at the results of what he had called her to. It is not that he approved of Hagar being mistreated. He didn't. God doesn't approve of mistreatment. You know, in Scripture where it says, where, where Jesus says, you know, that you turn the other cheek, he's not saying to continue to be mistreated. He's saying don't respond in the same manner to which you were treated. Instead, you respond how God calls you to respond. I think this is what's going on here. And what God is doing, he's directing each one of them to the best outcome in the midst of their sinful choices. None of them were innocent here. Not a one of them were innocent here. You know, sin has consequences and it has ramifications. You know, and sometimes... God has us go through those. Sometimes for reasons we don't understand. And also, you know, sometimes we begin to see the reasons unfold as we go through or after we go through those, those challenges that come that our sin brought about. See, we sin and we want God to deliver us from the sin. And sometimes that's not what we need. What we need is to go through that so God can show us and God can, and, and God can continue to transform us into the people he wants us to be. And sometimes you have to live through some horrible consequences of the sin you've chosen, even though you've confessed it to God, even though you've asked for forgiveness, even though you've been forgiven. And sometimes you have to live through those horrible consequences so that God can make you into the person he needs you to be. With some of these things that was going to happen here, she was going to need to know that this is exactly what God said. Look at verse 12. This man, her son Ishmael, I used to talk about, this man will be a wild donkey. Isn't that your goal for your child? His hand will be against everyone. And everyone's hand will be against him. He will live at odds with all his brothers. It would not be easy for her to see her son make these choices. To see him make choices that would put him at odds with others, that would bring more difficulty on him. But this is where faith in God gets tested and stretched. And God was telling her exactly what was going to be going on. And even though Hagar might not have liked everything that happened, she yielded here and she followed in obedience to God. Take a look at your life. Where are you going? Is it heading closer to God or getting further away? What are your plans? Why have you chosen them? Have you brought them to God for his direction, for his adjustments? Follow God's plan. Do it God's way. And you will see God's blessing. 
Now what we're going to do, what we're going to do here, uh, we haven't done it in a little while, but um, I, I just think it's kind of important. It's one of the things God kind of laid out for me as I was working on this. Um, I'm going to close in prayer in a little bit, and I'll do the benediction, and we're going to dismiss all the women. I'm going to ask our deaconesses to go out to the lobby and uh, greet our women and, uh, and, you know, be with them. Uh, Jess will be out there. She'll be available. She's would be up here for prayer at the altar. But if, if you know, any ladies are out there and you need prayer for something, um, our deaconesses will be happy to pray with you even out there. And what we're going to do is, is, you know, after the benediction, I'm going to dismiss all the women. And I'm going to ask all the men to join me up here for a men's huddle. This and here's the deal sometimes it takes you longer to get up here than it does for me to say what i'm going to say just come on right up it's not even going to take me five minutes okay but just some things that god had uh, had laid out here for us so um again let me let me pray uh i'll do the uh the benediction and uh, we'll dismiss the ladies and men i'd like you to join me up here just for men's huddle father you are a god who works in ways that um Sometimes we don't get. We don't understand. We don't understand the whys. We don't understand the wherefores. We don't understand, but we do understand you are a God who is sovereign. You are a God who is in control. None of this is out of your control. Nothing we go through is out of or beyond your control, Lord. And we do know sometimes too, um, our sin brings consequences we'd rather never have to face. But we know we can trust you also to lead us through those. Father, draw us all closer to you. Help us be more and more the people you have called us to be. Help us to be uh, those who reflect your sovereignty, who reflect your grace, your glory, your honor. Oh, Lord, we need your wisdom. We need your strength. When we find ourselves foolishly doing other things, draw us back to yourself. Don't let us wander. Don't let us be dumb. Help us to understand each day where we're going, why we're doing what we're doing, Father. That we will be going closer to you in all things, not simply acting from our frustration, our hurt, our anxiety, or our unanswered prayers. But that we'll walk in faith in you, Father. Guide us toward that end, we pray. In Christ's name. And now unto him, the only one who is able to send us before his presence without fault and with great joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and dominion both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Ladies, uh, we're going to dismiss you outside, uh, uh, well, to the lobby at least. Men, if you join me up front here for just a couple minutes. And Ron, we're good with the, we're good. Thank you. Okay, so one of the things I'd like to do, you know, redesign this platform and put a stair across here and there, get, make this level, bring the piano up here. And then I can do this on the corner. That stuff. Yeah, that's one of these days.
Yeah, pull in as close as you can so the other guys can get can get up here too. The um, we don't have the microphone on, but um, they are recording it. It'll it'll be online after the sermon if you uh, if you miss something that I if you miss something that I say. Um, as I was working on the sermon, here's here's the first thing that caught my that caught my attention. In verse two, Sarah said to Abram. Since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave and perhaps through her I can build a family. And here it is. And Abraham, Abram agreed to what Sarah had said. Abram agreed to what Sarah had said. Don't agree with sin. Don't ever agree with sin. All that's going to do is pull you further away from God. Don't agree with anything that's going to get you further from God. And then in verse 6, you know, it says, Abram replies to Sarai, here's your slave, you know, in your hands, do whatever you want with her. Then Sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away. Don't ignore sin in your family. Don't make room for it in your home. It's, it, Abram did not step up. He did not step up and lead his family here, and it resulted in sin, and it resulted in strife in the home. That's what's going to happen if we ignore sin in our lives, if we ignore sin in our home, and we allow that to go on. In your home is the where that you really need to focus on above everything else. That's the where that's there. Your home is the most important place you are needed. The most important place you're needed. The spiritual condition of your family is the why. It's, it's the, the why, and, and your, your, your example is vital. It's vital. They look to you and they look to see what is, you know, what is dad doing? What is the, what's the, what's the man at home doing? Now, what I'm saying here, this is not a, it's not a statement to control your family. What I'm, what I'm doing, what I'm saying is, you know, step up and lead your family. Lead your family. Be the leader. You know, be the one there. Be the spiritual leader in your home. Set the direction. Set the pace. Set the example. Don't ever agree to sin. Don't ever turn and pretend like it's not important. It is. And you are a key in your home. Lead your home closer to God. Let me pray for you guys. Father, we need your help. There is no way we can do this on our own. When we think we can, Lord, don't deliver us from that foolishness of thinking we can do this on our own, of thinking that we have all the answers, of thinking that we have the strength. We don't, Lord. We need your help. We're here as men and we're asking for your help. Help us, Father. Help us to be the men you've called us to be. Help us to lead our families. Help us to be that example in our home, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, everywhere that you've placed us. Help us, Father, to put you first. And Lord, lead these men. The enemy would love to destroy their homes. Oh, please, put a hedge of protection around them. Don't allow that to happen. Father, where things need to be set straight, help them to set them straight. Lord, where it's not, it's not in their wheelhouse to lead, Father, help them to do it in your strength and in your power and for your glory, I ask. In Christ's name, amen.